the Doxed, the podcast. Now that we, yeah, sorry. Now that we officially got that last bit of the recording, but you were saying this really interesting thing about um, how none of the research that we looked at, it seems was first of all, very recent about parasocial relationships and anything that was, wasn't really hitting on anything other than like Twitch streamers and nothing about TikTok. And I think you're right. TikTok is really dangerous. Yeah. I don't, I don't think people really care about celebrities as much anymore. Like it makes sense that those earlier studies were done in like the late nineties, early two thousands before. I mean, I guess before social media really. Right. I don't even think MySpace was really a thing back then. So people were really invested in celebrity life and tabloids and magazines and like maybe PerezHilton.com, like maybe that, or like gossip websites. And then you felt like you kind of knew what the Lindsay Lohans of the world were doing back then. And like Kim Kardashian and Ray J, like things like that. And you felt like you knew their lives but this whole social media influencer thing is a completely different animal. Yeah. And there's a level of removal. That's why. Because there isn't any individual interaction with the followers. So, and that whole idea too of the doubly parasocial thing, I've never heard of anyone else use that term except for, I, I think I came up with it. Uh, but it, But the idea of having some kind of public friendship with another influencer as an influencer no scholarship on that. And it's a very interesting kind of psychology and psychological relationship and situation to be in. I mean, really, I, I it's kind of, uh, I guess it's just because it is so new, but none, like this journal didn't, they have um, issues every month, including in 2023 and no mention of TikTok, no mention of like parasocial relationships on TikTok. So I don't know if it's just too new, but it's it's all too it's all really fascinating for nobody to be talking about. It is very fascinating. And I think there there's probably an uptick of this type of social media influencer that we see on TikTok. I think that uptick happened during lockdown, which is when TikTok really blew up and expanded to a different audience. It went from a kid's dancing, lip syncing app to millennials getting on there and and Gen Zers getting on there and different celebrities getting on there. And we got to see their everyday life without the production quality, without the, the masterful editing. We just saw normal people doing their normal everyday thing and being interesting just as normal humans. And then... They kind of rose to fame in this really organic way because everyone was at home wondering if the world was going to end and just kind of mindlessly scrolling on TikTok and finding a laugh where they could. And a lot of people since have capitalized on that and have turned it into something different. Like I think 2020 was a very special time on TikTok. We're never going to have that again. It's never going to be that ever again. Hmm. Like all of the the inside jokes about like Tiger King and everyone watching Tiger King at the same time and making content about that. Like that's never going to happen again. Interesting. I mean, can you elaborate on like the differences? Because I haven't been on TikTok and um, 2022, February is when I joined. So I know what happened since then, but even kind of like, 
I obviously lived through like the George Floyd protest. I was in Philadelphia during the George Floyd protests and, um, but I wasn't on TikTok at the time. I was like on Facebook still. And um, so I didn't really go through BLM through a TikTok lens. And I think you, you were on the app by that point. Right. So what if you, can you elaborate on like the changes that you've seen over that time? So I left Facebook right at the end of 2019 and when lockdown happened and I was like on group Zoom calls with my girlfriends and they had all these cute inside jokes. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And they were talking about TikTok. And I got on TikTok and started seeing the protests, the BLM protests happening all over the place. And I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. And getting on TikTok is what motivated me to protest and to get in there with my camera and start documenting things. And that was my first TikTok account, which actually went viral. I had like hundreds of thousands of followers and- Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I went to the protests every day for weeks straight with my camera and I got shot at and I saw people die and- Oh my God. People get hit in the eye with rubber bullets, like- I saw snipers on roofs shooting into the crowds. Like I yeah. saw all of that stuff happen. I saw and, that too. And I posted on TikTok and grew a following through that, which eventually, like that was my first experience of social media being really crazy and getting death threats and stuff and being threatened to be doxxed. But I didn't even know what doxing was back then. Mm-hmm. I'm like, everyone's in lockdown. Like I'm fine. <laughs> I wasn't really worried about it then. I had like other traumatic things going on in my life Hmm. and there was literally a global lockdown like what are you going to do to me really so but during that time it it had this very grassroots feel to it there was this collective uncertainty of what was going to happen in the world we saw people have really polarizing thoughts on like vaccines and whether or not the virus was real and people commenting on seeing people go to concerts and beach parties and other people sitting at home mad that they're choosing not to leave their house and look at all these people being so irresponsible and all these conversations being sparked and people saying the things that everyone else wanted to say and you can't really say on Facebook because your aunt and uncle are going to fight with you on Facebook. But on TikTok, there was this like secret thing that the older aunties and uncles didn't really know about or understand. That makes sense. More freely. And you could grow a following based on how you really felt about things and where you really stood on things. And to see parents struggling with schools being closed and well, we have to work, but we can't afford childcare and there is no childcare right now and our kids are home and what are we going to do? And seeing people connect on that, it was just like very real. TikTok just seemed so real back then because everyone was going through it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I even felt like it it had that same, a similar feeling of being real in 2022, but that feeling has gone away in late 2022 into 2023, it started Mm. to feel really corporatized or like not even, not even corporatized. It was more like a wild West that had been taken over by the mafia or something. Like Mm -hmm. it was more like, it's not like, it's like somehow some, it's not like powers that be in some sort of conspiracy way, but just in that way that like money seeps in power seeps in 
advertising appropriated advertising seeps in and it eventually just you know and and it's an app that wants to sense authenticity all the time but you know eventually people learn ways to get around that so i i I miss old tiktok i miss 2020 tiktok even though it was kind of scary it was kind of scary at the time just because of the nature of the content I was making and like seeing yeah. how horribly racist people could be. To see the early days of Michaela Noguera like, in her room at her parents' house trying on different makeup looks with her crazy Boston accent and to see where she is now. Like that's just one example, not just of how one person one influencer has changed over time but like she's a good example of how tiktok has changed over time to be this really relatable normal everyday person on tiktok doing what you like to do yeah and then now you're a millionaire and now you're controversial and people are questioning what are you who are you being sponsored by and like lash gate and is she lying about the mascara (laughs) did she have falsies on like Wait, she's I don't know about Lashgate. <laughs> she's a prime example of how the whole platform has changed. Like, I don't know. I can't remember when Mama Tot got on. Um, I can't remember the early days of Mama Tot. But, like, her content has always been what it's been. Like, she reminds me of early TikTok. And just being yeah. a normal, everyday person and doing what you love and talking about what you love to talk about and just being yourself. And even though you rise to fame and popularity, like she still reminds me of like 2020 TikTok. Nostalgic feeling um, about all of her content and her entire character. And I'm told that she's a very genuine person outside of the app too. So I think that helps and carries over probably into how the character of her platform, you know, but it's yeah. because you sent me, um, you sent me a video of mother birdie today. And that was one of the first people I followed on TikTok in like February, 2022. And then I remember kind of early on sometime, maybe spring of that year was unfortunately the, I don't even want to talk directly about it, but the, but uh, mama Tot had a horrible tragedy that happened to her. Mm-hmm. And after that, uh, Mother Birdie had put out some content that was just like, oh my God, this is so horrible. But for anybody that really needs this, like for anybody that needs the emotional support, I'm here and willing to be that for you right now in the light of what has happened with Mama Tot. And I remember thinking, cause I had just gotten on the platform and had just started to see that. And I was like, that seems insincere because uh, it's almost like you're, you're being opportunistic or something. But the more that I was on the platform, the more I changed my mind about the sincerity of that, because I realized that I had an evolving conception of the kind of relationships that are these parasocial relationships. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it really does matter that much to people. And especially considering who Mama Tot is, there is a very real, like, like it's parasocial, but it's a bond that people feel where there was a deep loss and a deep sense of um, fear without their comfort creator. And mm. for somebody to try to, you know, step in and provide comfort. Like, I do think that was sincere coming from them because I think, um, yeah, it was like I didn't quite understand the nature of the app or something, so I misread it at the time. Yeah. Oh, that's another layer to parasocial relationships is having a comfort creator. And I think I used to think that was like an autistic thing to have that routine, to have yeah. a comfort creator that you just kind of scroll through and fall asleep to or whatever. Yeah. But I think that's a thing for all 
kinds of people. I think and Mama Tot, like, obviously she's a comfort creator, but like there's, there's different ones that like create art on TikTok. I don't know if you know this particular creator, but she has these two little knitted frogs <laughs> and she does these really cute scenes of these two frogs that are in love and plays really cute dreamy <laughs> cottage core music with them uh-huh. and i i that's a comfort account of mine i have to send you a link and then also like the weird infected hooves like that's a comfort thing for uh-huh. me too yeah the infect you have to give context because <laughs> i think we talked about that in a different context but it's like there's like this well so even okay so a weird fun fact about my family which is is that we definitely like one of the only things we all have in common is that we like to watch Dr. Pimple Pop. Yes. <laughs> and so I think you and I were talking about that at some point and how there are also TikTok accounts that are devoted to now I watch um because also my mom is a horse trainer so I watch ones of like of like hooves getting cleaned because it reminds me of my childhood and then that segued into all these other tiktok accounts which are literally like cleaning like pus filled boils <laughs> off of cows and they're like really satisfying and that's such a distress like a I don't know I don't know why I don't know what part of me loves is so satisfied with watching that kind of thing but but uh yep (laughs) so I think we share that that kind it is like a comforting kind of content in a weird way like for some people I'm sure that's just disgusting but yeah and then you know a little bit of a different take on a on a comfort creator thinking back about I do think it was maybe you're right that it's it's everybody but certainly I had comfort creators and my main comfort creator was Cracked Podcast, Cracked.com. For like a decade, I was so into Cracked all through college, all through grads. And then it finally fell apart. Like one day it was, well, first of all, there were some creators that were just going through some mental health stuff, but then the company got like acquisitioned or whatever. And they fired a bunch of the creators that had been there for years in a day and then everybody just it was like a huge schism and cracked is still I think a thing and it just completely lost its character that day and mm. I never went back and it was heartbreaking but it makes me think about the situation with Ali where like I do understand having your comfort creator and then wanting to just stand up for them regardless of what happened because you're just kind of like Ugh, like I kind of need this like what am I going to do you know there's a level where you know I hope you have principles <laughs> and ethics about mm-hmm. who your comfort creator is but there's also a level of like, there's no ethical consumption. Everybody out there is going to be problematic. Your heroes are going to fall. Everybody has flaws. Everybody has something that you could uncover. Yeah. Either make them look bad or it is bad regardless. You know, you everybody is cancelable under the right circumstances, I think is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, um. So hopefully you have ethics and try to be intentional about who your comfort creators are. But I've certainly had comfort creators my entire life and I think that is a common experience the thing for me with my comfort creators though is I never feel motivated to connect with them I just enjoy what they do and when I get my fill I move on like I never feel entitled to their time I never feel a desire to like access them you know well maybe you have good boundaries (laughs) maybe I have good boundaries (laughs) unlike some 
Unlike some, yeah, I guess I guess that's the difference between the parasocial relationships being pathological and just being for entertainment value. Yeah, because I do think that people um people like to chalk up a parasocial relationship to being inherently unhealthy, but I do think that it's sort of the nature of life now, and it will be even more so as we get into metaverse stuff and and start to live more of our lives online like like the pandemic pushed us on to a lot more remote work and things like that and that's a trend that's going to continue and there's going to be more isolation there's going to be more of these kind of fickle relationships these relationships where you think you know somebody and you really you can't because it's mm-hmm. not the one in, in real life relationship so yeah I don't know what what how do you feel about parasocial relationships with like spiritual influencers and psychic influencers that's a good question because eventually there's usually some kind of call to action for the viewer to cross that line into like getting a service from them yeah and that's actually um first of all i'll say that Again, considering this project versus my project where I was going on spiritual TikTok to talk about spirituality, there's a difference in how willing I am to try to make money off of it. And that was very specifically because of the kind of content I was putting out. It felt icky to me. Um, And I had trouble navigating that because I was like, well, I have this main thing I want to say. Maybe I can make a book out of my information that I have about music and spirituality and healing had a lot to say on all those topics, psychology, philosophy, but it feels ugly because I was stepping out of, I was in the academy before, and there's a level of like authority that comes with actual certifications. And then you step into this other space where it's like, people are just willing to, people really lack discernment. People really feel like they they're easily tricked by marketing into thinking that something is genuine magic and that doesn't mean magic doesn't exist i believe in magic i believe in energy i believe in um psychic knowledge but there are there are just as easily people right alongside of whatever is real that are just and i think part of it is like scammers and horrible people part of it is Everything in capitalism drives you to always feel like you have to make money off of everything you do. And so people get, people have some kind of spiritual awakening or they get into spiritual topics that becomes their special interest for whatever life reason. And then they feel like, oh, therefore I must figure out how to make money doing this. And it's like these people all flood this space when they're really not the people that should be teaching it. Like they maybe you have a right to at least have learned from, from a Swami or a guru, like about your enlightenment, you know, but that does that really mean that the next year when you've been practicing for a year or two years or something, whatever, like it's not even about time, but you get into this space and then you think you're going to, whether it's tarot readings, whether it's psychic readings, whether it's coaching, there's no real certifications involved. And the audience is not is caring a lot more about like social power. So you can really just build up a following and that gives you the credibility. And um, I mean, as we saw with Ali, that <laughs> that can be really dangerous because you can just claim to know stuff that's you just don't know. 
and you can just buy a following actually you, you don't even have buy to build a following. yeah you can just buy that credibility so it's kind of an especially dangerous space because there's really and there's also a lot of people it seems to me like a lot of people in this tiktok space in particular who are interested in this topic it's all kind of self-helpy and the reason that you're guided toward that information is because you've gone through something traumatic and you're trying to make sense of it and so a lot of people in that space are like hurting, like they're like, you know, like a lot of people get sucked into twin flame rhetoric. And I think there's something that's possibly healing about twin flame rhetoric if you use it right, or if you think about it in a way that's healing. But there's a lot of people that get sucked into scammy twin flame nonsense. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening is they're in a, in a harmful relationship, a toxic, whatever, narcissistic relationship. And they're looking for some kind of excuse for why they should stay in the thing you know and then Mm -hmm. that all feeds into some kind of ego not it's harmful for people um but they're predisposed to be looking for it and then there's people positioned scamily to scoop you up as you're looking for that because they know that people are are damaged in that way and that's a whole audience that's easily they're they're easy to take advantage of because they want to believe in something and it's hard to balance because i think um Allie, Allie was kind of to some extent, right. in her message where it's like, you know, there are these people out here, there's different levels. There's people that are intentionally scamming. There's people that don't understand that what they're saying can be harmful. And then when you have different sizes of followings, that means a different level of impact. So there's a through, there's something there to that conversation, but yet I, I have hope. I believe in magic. And I think that There needs to be, I mean, there's a reason why one of the fundamental inalienable rights of people is that they have a right to, you have a right to believe how you believe and have the government not dictate your religion for you. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. that's a very important right for people. And it's because if you don't have that in place, then what happens is the people in power just get to dictate what everyone believes and they might not be right. (laughs) So you have to leave space for people to have their own beliefs. And so- it can't be that like, therefore hope is dead. Therefore, you know, dreams are crushed. Therefore there is no magic. There are no psychics. There is no energy. That's not quite right. It right. both true. So the space is interesting because you can claim a different kind of authority than you can in like a professional or an academic space. I do think there's some on TikTok, especially there's some kind of weird mafioso politics going on in those higher levels within the spiritual TikTok space and then within the broader TikTok space, I guess. There's definitely scary characters that have a lot of power and influence just because of the kind of people that are predisposed to come into that space in the first place looking for certain kinds of answers. Mm -hmm. And even insofar as like, there are fake accounts of all of us. I'm not even a tarot reader. I'm not even on there selling psychic skills. And there are fake accounts that brand themselves to look like me with one misspelled letter in the handle and then mm-hmm. DM everybody and say, oh, oh, I'm being divinely guided. I feel a calling to you and I would be happy to give you a reading, but you must pay. And it's a scam. And that's a very, very common kind of TikTok scam, which is um, built from parasocial relationships because people can be easily tricked into thinking that's me. And they're so feeling like the individual interaction is so exciting um mm-hmm. you know that they're blinded to the fact that it's just completely fake and they're talking to a scammer so there it's it's like rife for this kind of um people can be very gullible in that space and you know i do think again this whole conversation about discernment is really important but how do you you can't really teach people 
discernment. I don't think you can teach people much on TikTok. I think you can give people like a one-off emotional reaction to a video. And then very rarely can you give them sticking power with some kind of lesson, actually. It's more about like, just the nature of the beast is like, it's mostly emotional manipulation. And then you can try to get them into some kind of community where you can then over time actually influence them. But the influencer game is much more surface level and much more about just like aspirational envy, I think. And emotion. Yeah, the point about being able to teach people things on TikTok, it's incredibly hard because people's attention spans are so damn short. People want to scroll and get everything they need in a few seconds. And if it's not absolutely gut-wrenchingly gripping, they just keep scrolling. I don't know that people are on TikTok to really grasp anything significant. No. I mean, I feel like... When I first got on TikTok, I was there was a few different things happening with the algorithm for me. My for you page was Black Lives Matter content and hate crimes against people of color. And then narc talk. And mm-hmm. I was in a really abusive relationship at the time that was kind of coming to an end. And I had never heard about narcissistic personality disorder in depth so you just learned about that on tiktok that's interesting i I learned about narcissistic people and empaths and the runner chaser dynamic and just seeing tons and tons of women mostly talking about leaving their narcissistic husbands or having a co-parent with a narcissistic partner and everything that I was seeing on TikTok was what I was living through at the time. So I was huh. processing, initiating and processing a breakup on TikTok and being hyped up along the way and lots of really supportive people like sharing their stories with me and helping me heal through that whole process. Like that was very interesting. So there was that. There was also, um, oh, ex-Mormon stories. And like deconstruction and leaving cults and high control groups and leaving religion. I was seeing a little bit of that and like hot lesbian thirst traps. Like that was my TikTok. (laughs) Well, you're right. You know, because I think, and I've also said this for a while, that whole thing is a mirror. TikTok is a mirror of your following is a mirror of you. And it's as, as immaterial as a reflection in a mirror too. But it's like, it's not really telling you something you objectively can know. It's not telling you objective facts. It's telling you a reflection of what you're thinking, where you're at in life. For me, the thing I discovered for the first time ever on TikTok, and people like to like to make fun of this as a trope even, but too bad it happened, was autism. I didn't realize I was autistic until I went on TikTok. I started high level identifying with all the people that were like, put a finger down if these things are true for you. You mm-hmm. might be autistic. And I was like, oh shit. And then I talked to my therapist about it extensively. I took a bunch of self-diagnostic tests. I talked to um, my parents about my childhood and they were like, oh, that does make sense. You know? <laughs> I started to like put pieces together, but that all started from TikTok. And it was really because like, it could have been that TikTok was lying to me about the autism thing, but if it was, it was a, it would have been a reflection of what I wanted to hear out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think, you know, also I got the lesbian thirst traps. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm trying to think what else I got. I got like, I mean, a lot of, a lot of like queer neurodivergent content. And, and, you know, I did feel like I was kind of finding my people in a sense. And I did find my people. Like, I think you and I are remarkably alike in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. very alike. And that was kind of exactly what I was looking for out of that whole thing was like, fine. What's crazy people. is that I stumbled upon you twice <laughs> with my first TikTok account. And then again, with the new one that I made yeah. for my podcast, you came up on my FYP twice and I followed you from both accounts. That was nice of you. I remember you from the old account, but I didn't realize that you were a much bigger account in the first place. And I'm not entirely sure. I think I definitely liked your book. So I remember thinking that book is exactly what I was looking for when I was on there, because I was exactly in that space to find your book and things like that. Like it was exactly the, exactly what I was looking for. So I remember you're marking that and thinking that was really cool. And even like engaging you in a little bit of a discussion about the publishing and stuff. But I don't remember. Were you talking about your book on your first account? No, no. And I'm not sure why I would, I remember I was, I remember we were mutuals on your old account, but I don't remember why I initially like encountered you on there or like what video it was or anything. I feel like my old account turned into a mishmash of all kinds of different things. And I kind of missed that account mm -hmm. because yeah, it was so talking. much more, it was so much more reflective of who I am as a whole person. Mm which isn't very niche. I just made content about whatever I liked. It just got really scary because some of my content would end up in like the darkest depths of the TikTok algorithm and then weird people would comment on, on my stuff and like threaten to rape and kill me. Yeah, horrible. Yeah, I mean, it makes you so vulnerable. That's a huge following too. That's got to be a very different vibe than I think you were at like 4,000 or something when this whole alley thing started. Yeah, and it was comfortable. Like 4,000 is manageable because really you're only act interacting with like a couple hundred of that, which feels normal and real and manageable. And like, you feel like you're really connecting with people. But after the drama, a lot of those people disappeared on me. Yeah. A lot of my following did too. And I'm kind of just disappointed. Like there were even, so some of my following was um like one subset of my following is like, is like men who in a parasocial way, I think, think that they have like a chance with me. And that's not even very nice for me because there's some of those guys I'm actually friends with genuinely. And then some of them, I, um, you know, I don't think are creepy in any way, but there's definitely also a subset of them that are just like straight up hanging out because they're kind of like attracted to me or something. And they disappeared for that drama. They didn't care at all. And then as soon as I, as soon as the drama died down, they were the first ones back on my page, but I'm like, you guys are just like insincere. Like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, yeah, I, I like them less because of going through this and realizing that they were just going to dip and then come back when it was over. And then those are the main people that are like engaging with my content right now because everybody else is just, was just like, uh, what was I saying with those terms or like a tourist, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that yeah. speaks to a larger issue with men in general when you're going through it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it was interesting to me that it is like trolling is gendered according to that one study, because I, I mean, I don't think that's a universal rule, but there's definitely a level of just like 
uh, hatred for other people and lack of empathy that you have to have to like engage in some of that. I guess yeah, it's not I just in, but it's just not in my nature to be like that. So it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. Well, yeah, same. Okay, so I had a question for you. So back on the topic of spiritual creators on TikTok and parasocial relationships, like how do you feel about spiritual creators charging for services and marketing on a place like TikTok when there's so many vulnerable people? Like, do you think TikTok is the place for marketing things like that or maybe just educating on spiritual topics versus like trying to get clients I think it's gonna have to be the place for marketing because it just is inherently like somebody's gonna be in that space and so one thing even just the fact that we're moving off of that space means that there's two there's a void that of course will be filled by the people most trying to make money because the people actually there for good reasons are going to get silenced and pushed off and pushed away. And I think, yeah, I think it's like a shame, but also all of capitalism is a shame. I do think that that app is just already, it's always, it was always going to be filled with people that are just trying to make money. And I think when it comes to like charging in general, like on or off TikTok with spiritual practices, to me, it's, it's difficult. I think that there should be just generally more education. Like it's a, somebody needs to do the thing Allie was trying to do. Or Allie could do it, but she needs to not also just bully random people. But, you know, that's a conversation that needs to be had because there needs to be some discernment, understanding how to not just fall into a cult, understanding how to um, deconstruct and how to not, you know, how to not get scammed, basically. Um, And, you know, trying to find those people that are vulnerable and teach them how to be safe instead of they get scooped up into some of these things you know that's one whole effort someone could do that would probably help the world a lot but these spaces are always going to be filled with scammers and then there is some sort of real spiritual teaching and I do think that there's like when you're somebody that really can help people and can give good advice or can be a real kind of guru of some kind. And I do think like in the modern day, it's not unreasonable to expect that a real guru would find like a large reach on TikTok or would be called to do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think those people exist. I think people who are, have been practitioners for years and years exist. And I think that especially there's a racial element to any of your labor should be paid. It's disgusting that TikTok doesn't pay the way that it does same thing with to to some extent with queer people with disabled people people deserve to get paid um for just even making content for even making entertainment for people even if you just say like it's ethical i think to say things like psychic readings are for entertainment purposes only whether or not you believe in them but i do think that like there's there's a level where i'm i'm okay with people charging for their services, even if they're like psychic services, because there's something to that, to, to giving your labor. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, there's a difference between somebody getting up there just because they just had some kind of spiritual awakening and they just feel like, oh, suddenly I want to make money on my new interest of crystals versus somebody that's like done some deep searching, has something to say really needs to be able to get paid in capitalism and survive somehow. So they deserve mm-hmm. to get paid for the, for what they do. And um, I do think that there's something to coaching and psychic services too, that is like therapy, there's something good about therapy 
um, there's something that's important about it, but there's also something kind of colonized about it. And so I can see a benefit in just having like one-to-one -one relationships, even if it's in the context of having a psychic that you go to or something. Are you tired of feeling unsafe online? Do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. It's just all in in how people, how responsible or irresponsible people are with those relationships. So yeah, I mean, TikTok is going to be filled with these scammers. Like if you're a consumer, I would say don't go to TikTok for your, for your choice of who to trust the most. Absolutely not, you know? Yeah. But if you're trying, to, if you're a spiritual person trying to make money, I don't judge you for being on TikTok and I don't know that you're necessarily, I don't judge you necessarily in general for trying to make money as a spiritual person. Cause I think there's space for that in the world. And it's not, it's just the capitalism is the problem. Racism is the problem. Not so much spirituality or people teaching spiritual things. Right. What do you think? about uh, that? I think there definitely should be a place for spiritual creators to be able to do their practice and build community and make money if that's what they want to do. I've just seen so much heartbreak on TikTok from vulnerable people and gullible people who turn to spiritual creators, usually during a really dark, traumatizing time in their lives. That's usually when people seek out some kind of spiritual guide yeah, or yeah. psychic reading or tarot reading. It's usually when things are bad. People don't seek out spiritual guidance when life is going well and they get taken they get taken for everything they've got and they spend money on scams or they follow really popular spiritual creators and you know like all the fake accounts that'll swoop in with the same username just off by a letter or a number and people get really excited because they want to believe that 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 their favorite creator is reaching out to them and there's just, there's no checks and balances. There's no verification. There's no, there's no way to really prevent that from happening. And I think it, it is important to have disclaimers for certain types of content on a platform like TikTok where, where so many people are getting scammed. There needs to be a disclaimer like this is for entertainment purposes only. Like <laughs> seek, seek guidance within like, I don't, I don't know. There has to be something because just too many people are getting taken for a ride in their darkest hour by predatory spiritual creators. Yeah. I mean, it is predatory. I think, I guess my position is just that that's going to be the same situation no matter where you go. If you are a vulnerable person, there's predators everywhere. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that some of this, like, I also kind of, 
came upon this. I mean, I had a lot of this stuff in childhood and then I separated myself from it and was very like science minded and very atheistic and very um, interested in, in, in like strict materialism almost for a while, a long time. And that just didn't, that just didn't answer all my questions about the universe. I'm a pretty deep thinker and it just didn't go far enough to really explain everything, frankly, after many years of thought. And I was in a very dark place and I, and I, I did like to turn on YouTube and kind of fall asleep to stuff. And I started finding these tarot readers on YouTube who were doing like some kind of general reading, but for each Zodiac sign. So I would find like the Aquarius tarot readers and through that, I started to hear a narrative of whatever the algorithm was sending me. And it was pushing me toward then twin flame stuff. And I had never heard of any of that before. And that's, that became my foray into what ultimately was like, I still would call it a spiritual awakening. I don't think I was wrong about what was happening. Um, and I don't think I was in any kind of psychosis. And it's interesting because part of part of my own spiritual practice and my own kind of identification, I call myself a witch. And I think a big part of that is, is about my feminism and my sense that I, um, I identify with a level of being, being witch hunted, being scapegoated, being seen as evil when I was just doing my thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's a big part of like my spirituality is this kind of like subversive feminism and uh, I think part of that is like being in touch with cycles of things. Like it's very healing. It's very, um, it's put me back in touch with myself, you know, and it's been like, it, and, and it's interesting that since that, since that shift happened in my head where I was like willing to leave space for the magical things in life and willing to interpret some of my experiences as spiritual experiences and not just as strictly mundane experiences external people in different areas of my life have called me crazy i mm. i mean ali was a big one she she literally plastered that i have spiritual psychosis all over my face but that also happened with my university before this TikTok debacle. It was um, it was uh, a shame because I think I was just saying stuff that people either weren't ready to hear or was just being polemical um, or was being autistically unaware that it's not okay to speak the truth <laughs> in certain political situations. And um, as a result, I got labeled as like I they were they were questioning my mental stability basically and saying that I shouldn't should should consider not continuing the program because I had I had psychosis of some kind or whatever like um oh. heavily implied by people that I trusted and um and I and my therapist an actual person who could diagnose me with something was right you know talking to me throughout both of these situations and both times was agreeing that no I'm not insane that's not true but it's interesting to me how much more opposition I get now that I'm very confident that, you know, magic exists. And even just in the sense of like, there's power in subversion is even in a way what I mean when I say that, you know, um, mm -hmm. and the more I insist on that and the more I live in my kind of power and truth around that, the more people call me crazy. So I have, I think I have a defensive spot for, that idea of just like, yeah, there is space to call out these scammers. And that's 100% has to be true. Like, 
I agree. And I think I've tried to do that. And I think the answer is really about understanding what capitalism is and decolonizing and understanding things like intersectionality and understanding things like, like when it comes to spirituality, a lot of that stuff developed around second wave feminism, a lot of the stuff around manifestation, a lot of like new thought, um, Helena Blavatsky, all of these, all of those people were like second wave feminists, like Florence Shin. I love Florence Shin's works very second wave feminist and and all the trappings of the second wave feminists and namely there was some like undercurrents of racism like <laughs> they did not account for all the things that the third wave feminisms feminists came in and accounted for and that's part of part of the failing of that movement and why it didn't ultimately lead to liberation and why we then responded as a as a species with third wave feminism so to me, it's like obvious, like go back, okay. And then whatever we were talking about with spirituality and second wave feminism, that's got all the same flaws as second wave feminism. So let's talk about it in terms of third wave feminism, which is to say, let's decolonize it. And I think that's mm -hmm. what your book was doing. So that was like where I was at was like, well, this stuff can be really healing. It can be really empowering. It can be really re-empowering to people that are on the margins. And um mm -hmm everything that's true for in every space there's going to be predators and in every space there's going to be opportunities for re-empowerment um maybe not in every space maybe maybe one hard lesson of this was that some spaces aren't worth fighting for but mm -hmm. regardless i think i think i have some very um i arrived at my spiritual I, I think a lot of people arrive at spiritual beliefs uh without a lot of thought unfortunately i think that people get led into what they believe either because of how they were raised or as a reaction to how they were raised. And people don't often go much further than that, but I've spent a long time thinking really deeply about it and um, changing my position when new information came to light. Mm -hmm. So I arrived at my kind of spirituality from a place of like a lot of education around like feminism, decolonizing, and then also a lot of lived experience having no hope and then realizing the ultimate need for it. And um, I think that's a different place from just like, oh, la, 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 like, I don't know, like, um, and not to put anybody else down for their experiences. I think a lot of people arrive at different places for different important reasons. But I guess that's just, I'm very like, my ideas are built on this very solid foundation. And I think that's one thing that Allie was not expecting when she was talking to me about stuff was she was just like, well, nobody's really thought that deeply about their opinions, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't believe this. And I was like, no, I have thought deeply about what I think. Mm -hmm. I, of course, I don't believe your straw man thing because instead I thought very, very deeply and have a very strong foundation. You can't just, like, you would have to have an actual argument <laughs> to change. I don't think she expected anyone to know what they were talking about in any kind of response to her because so many people just don't respond back. Yeah, and I don't think she was ever there for, a, for some kind of debate with me or anything, but that's what I was there for. And I think that I was unusual in that space for that reason. Because mostly that's like, that's almost like some atheist behavior. Like that's almost like, you know, that's like, um, uh, I don't think many people in that space, mostly people are even like spiritually bypassing love and light people in that space. Like they're not mm -hmm. interested in having some nasty, and that's a whitewashing thing. Like, let's all be nice. Let's not have any sort of right. conflict or whatever. Well, no, like to me, it's like, we're trying to liberate here, but I don't think that's what most people in that space were doing. I think I was doing something else. And you were doing something else too. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I think in the case of Allie and 
her calling out of people. It was never about education or conversation or debate or coming together in any way. It was about calling out and generating content and engaging in some kind of internet beef with people. It was never about learning anything or coming to any kind of common ground or understanding. And I think your response to Allie came from that place of like, okay, you're calling me out and being a bully. Well, here's what I actually think about this thing that you're calling me out on. And it was always overlooked and deflected and other things were always brought up in, in response to your very normal, logical, calm, cool, collected responses that were like well thought out. And even as a former friend of hers at that time, when I actually started to watch your responses to her, I was like, wait a minute (laughs) this makes sense hmm how fishy is this this person's actually thinking about what they're saying and isn't saying anything terrible Hmm. I don't think anybody was expecting that to be the case either though because it was like either the people that are like really enlightened will just ignore her even like yeah people that were big spiritual creators came into my dms and were like just ignore her and it's like really though you guys like Really though? And then the other option was like, I must be crazy and obsessive. Well, what if there was a third option where I just had, I like actually believed in what I was saying and like, (laughs) yeah, that wasn't even a consideration. (laughs) Yeah. That wasn't even a consideration, which I mean, how, how do you ignore, how do you ignore that level of abuse? I mean, it's very clearly that advice was coming from people that had not been abused at that level or, or it was coming from people who were really fundamentally there to play the politics and do their business, which Mm -hmm. I was not. And that's a big difference. Like I really was never there to do a business. I was there because I genuinely had a really big idea and I was never, I was always in the Academy and I was never really exposed to like large audiences. And I had tapped into this. I was growing my platform and it was bigger than any kind of audience I had ever tapped into in 10 years of making art. And I was like, Oh my God. And I had what I thought was a really important thing to say. I have a whole bunch to say still, I need to like write a whole book, but I can't find the audience still um, about what spirituality is and magic and like music and how that plays in and how our personal relationships with music affect our healing and how you know society tries to keep us from that relationship but music is magic and there's a whole thing that I want to say so I so I got on there trying to explain it and I think I have trouble building bridges sometimes because because I'm going right to like okay so we need to decolonize and we need to understand the patriarchy and we need to like understand that you know the masculine and the feminine it's all about identity politics actually and then we deconstruct that and then like and people are like not there with me. People are like, I'm here for a psychic reading. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was just not in the right space again. But that was almost closer than because before I was in academic space where I'm like prattling on about how music is energy and everybody's like, no, music is math. <laughs> so then TikTok was like, oh, God, oh, good. Like somebody can listen to me the music is energy but still not the right audience because nobody actually cares about decolonizing spirituality yeah they're all there to consume spirituality because that's what the nature of the app has become like i think it was at the beginning more grassroots and now it's all it's it's about consumption spirituality spirituality has become 
a product it's rather than a way of life or a practice. I think it's trying to break out of being a product, actually. Like, I think that it got productified, at least, let's say, the Enlightenment onward, I think, was an increasing problem of having to separate spirituality or like or like that all got introduced into the Western eye at a time when it couldn't really be heard underneath of that filter of like patriarchy and colonization and all of that. And um, I think now is the time when there's some sort of shining chance to, to walk that back and say, Hey, this, what if there is something under that? And that was why it bothered me too. Ali coming in and just being like, no, there's nothing under that. There's nothing like, it's just all horrible and toxic. And it's like, I think this is the moment where we actually show that it's not, it's just, there's, you have to unpack the, the, the stuff on top, which is patriarchy and colonization. Well, her whole platform was built on, I also think her persona was built off of that book, Bright Sided, which doesn't really unpack anything. No, I, I think that was almost an excuse. And then like, I think the same thing with your stuff, like she was kind of just like, grasping onto these these ideas that she read briefly and then it fit pretty well into her narrative of what was going on and then she just didn't really look deeper than that and she kind of had an idea but she she picked the wrong sources because honestly the best sources for the whole thing some of the best people to read about this are third wave black feminist authors bell hooks audra lord angela davis Mm -hmm. There's more, but I mean, that's, that's where you look for some real insight into spirituality, into what about this stuff is colonized, how to decolonize it, how to really live in hope and really live in love. Like then, and so if you can't, if you're not doing that reading, cause you're, cause you're not really thinking at that level and you're just kind of casting around for some reason why you're right to be mad at spirituality, then you come mm-hmm. up with right sided instead, you know? Yeah really depressing depressing book I know I bought it and I and I read it and I thought when I bought it I was going to do like a YouTube video talking through it and it's I almost can't even stomach to make it worth doing the content to give it an eye because it's just like it's so bad it's super depressing and whitewashed and like it's just it's I, I honestly feel like reading it you get a sense of the author and I get a sense that the author kind of has an ugly heart and I, and that's a shame, <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that book. I don't think that's a good book to base your spiritual ideas off of at all. Even if you like the idea that yes, yeah, spirituality is whitewashed. That does. I just think that at the end of the day, that doesn't mean no spirituality. And that was really yes. another fundamental problem with like what Ali was trying to do there was just like, I'm mad at spirituality. Well, deconstruct that because it's not spirituality it's colonization i can't say that i wouldn't recommend bright-sided i'm coming from a place of contrast like contrast propels growth for me like reading a book written by someone with an ugly heart and (laughs) seeing their their doom and gloom perspective on things yeah that contrast helps me to see the light more clearly. And I know not everyone agrees with that. And like, don't expose yourself to things that are, that will bring you down or traumatize you if you don't want to do that or can't handle that. But 
you should I mean I think there's a level of like not stay, staying in a bubble but also a level of like there's no need to let in every single idea and every single person you know mm -hmm. yeah I hadn't read that book until uh, until the drama started because it was it was a constant it was like a staple in Allie's book recommendations bright sided yeah. bright sided all the time and I hadn't read it I just kind of assumed like oh I, I kind of get the gist of, of what it might be about based on what she said it was about and then when the drama started and um, people were very upset at the news that she had never read my book hmm. more upset than I even was like, I, I guess I kind of expect to not be supported in, in that way. So people were kind of in an uproar that she had never read my book. And I, I have recommending books she never read as a, yeah. as a powerful influencer. Like, me. yeah, but I had some like audible credits and I had gotten bright sighted and just kind of thumbed through it on my um, e-reader. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, my God. How can this book be on the same shelf as my book in her room on her little bookshelf of the three books that she read? How, how did my book share that. space with this? She accused you of plagiarizing that book. She equates your work with that book and they're not the same. I mean, it's just proof positive she never even read yeah. mine beyond the title page. Or just doesn't understand intersectional politics, like doesn't understand race, like I think she kind of fundamentally must not, must not understand and like uses these and, and people just in general, you know, just like Ali, like it's tough to understand, I guess, when you're just like, a, when you're just white, <laughs> but people yeah. just are all out here acting like they, they get it or they care about like, what, it's all just like playing politics for their business once again, mm -hmm. using language. And then it just makes them more dangerous because you think that someone's safe. Because they're all like on the leftist side of whatever. No, they're just like using the language that they know how to get away with, but they don't even understand what they're saying. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com.